Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danson, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Why do you not give bail? Do you understand that? process it's it's because they consider a flight risk they don't want right, to right. disappear into the don't, weeds don't, and not don't be you able think to... alex don't you think they consider him a a get murdered by <laughs> i would think we you know many people probably think that i mean i guess we'll see don't know it's a problem when you you know when when society moves into this uh phase where there's so much propaganda you, you know if you you become accustomed to being fed prop propaganda you start seeing um things sometimes where they may not may or may not be there it's like and I'm, I'm i'm as guilty of this as anybody else i mean i'm like you know super sensitive to stuff in fact some of the things i clipped to talk about this morning from rustin's news compilation thanks rustin <clears throat> are basically translations into english of propaganda pieces i think we should start doing that i mean because there's just so much out there that it's easy to start to jump to conclusions which you know terence was in here i don't know earlier this week scolding people basically <laughs> you know a bunch of conspiracy theorists but i mean i mean it's understandable no I mean, it's possible to kind of err too far on one side of things, but at the same time, I mean, what do you trust anymore? So I tend to suspect everything until we can prove it's probably not. And I'm open to correction. You know, I'm no, I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect. So whatever. Well, the funny, the funny thing about, uh, you know, the potential for SBF getting knocked off and being in prison to be safe is kind of ridiculous after what happened with Epstein and prisons just are not a safe place for, for people in spite of, in spite of the, the rhetoric and the, and the narrative that, uh, that they are. Makes you wonder, I guess it depends who your enemies are, right? Like I will, I will remind everybody that Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell was found guilty of trafficking children for sex and yet not a single person on those lists has been named nobody's been charged nobody's been arrested nobody's been prosecuted so it makes you wonder like you know when you it, i guess it depends who your enemies are some people may you know take the opposite side of that and say well you know this is all just conspiracy theory stuff, is it? Well, the fact that nobody's been arrested or charged isn't. Explain that to me. 
with a plausible explanation. It's incredible. Um, and then like now you have like Elon taunting all the all the um, like Twitter files and all the stuff he's found, uh, the collusion between like government officials and, and, and the media and all this stuff. It's just like, duh, like it's like it, we all we all have been saying this. And and it's silly that now the narrative of the mainstream is like, oh, yeah, it's a nothing burger. Like, oh, of course we knew that. Like, it's just unbelievable man like the the um the the level of like i don't know like masquerading that's that happens and and people just like reading or seeing or wanting to see, not wanting to see behind the mask of, of the media like it's just unbelievable to me it's just like wow we're still still have a lot of work to do um in society well there's always going to be those people andrews i don't know i feel like our job is to wake the lions you know like there's a bunch of sleeping lions out there and the, and the people who are going to fall for that crap, they're, they're always going to exist. That's the reason why propaganda works. It's, the, it's a, turned into a science at this point. I mean, you know, there are people who spend their entire careers studying how to manufacture public opinion and drive or, or create consent, basically. I mean, if you think about it, it's really the profession of politicians. That's their job. They, you know, they manufacture consent. Or agreement and there's always people who are susceptible to that crap <clears throat> and there always will be our job is to tap people on the back and say hey how about this bright orange future <laughs> let's let's show you some signal here and do you choose to step on the path that's our job yeah there's there's a lot of people that just need that tap in the shoulder um this past weekend i talked to someone about bitcoin and I feel like I did a fairly good job of explaining it. And and I get a text message from her and she was like, hey, I bought some Bitcoin. And I'm like, hey, where did you buy it? And she was like, oh, Robinhood. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and so like I was like, okay, um, uh, I didn't know because I never used Robinhood. And I didn't know if like she could like withdraw it uh, to a, to a stoke, uh, cold storage device. But then I told her like, yeah, the next step is for you to like take possession of that Bitcoin. Otherwise you don't have Bitcoin. And she was like, Whoa, what does that mean? And I'm like, okay, yeah, let me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy, but I felt no, like, okay, great. yeah, one. And I, I told her you maybe should, uh, you know, cause I use Swan and I love it. And, and I was like, kind of like shilling it. Um, and I also have a referral link. So I was like, why not? <laughs> but, uh, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it, man. I love hearing those kind of stories. Uh, good morning, Paul. Good morning, Stack King. We're going to go with you guys in just one second. I want to say uh, good morning to everybody. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday, live on Twitter Spaces. We do talk about Bitcoin. It's a great place to learn about Bitcoin. This is episode 240. There's 17 days left to tax loss harvest in the 2022 tax year. And where is the Bitcoin impenetrable freedom force field level today? Oh, I'll be right back. I'll give it for you right now. <laughs> I'm going to start asking you every day if you're ready. Uh, okay. What else? Remember, if there are no fees, you are the product or exit liquidity. Super, super important, guys. Don't get trapped. Don't get sucked into these honeypot traps where they're like, oh, it's so awesome. There's no fees and we'll give you yield. And like, they're just trying to suck in your capital, guys. It's bullshit. Like, there's proof. We have proof. Um, hey, Jacob, 
get that get that spin up that uh that audio so apparently there's there's this congressional testimony going on in relation to ftx and apparently these mfers were selling people bitcoin that they didn't actually have this is what is known as rehypothecation they also known by you know bitcoin maxis call it paper bitcoin and um, it's the oldest trick in the book. This is the problem that Bitcoin was supposed to solve, guys, where people can just make money up out of thin air that doesn't actually exist. This is the problem that Bitcoin solves. But the only way it solves that problem is, you know, you go to an exchange and you sign up for an account and you quote buy Bitcoin and on your screen it shows you you got some Bitcoin. Wonderful. If you don't take self-custody of that, how do you know that they actually sold you Bitcoin and didn't just put some numbers on your screen? You don't know. And that's where they're able to screw you. Jacob, if you're ready, play it. Custody really seems to be one of the big things here. Clearly, they didn't have a way to reconcile custody on behalf of their customers. But sometimes when people were saying, well, you know, I don't know about this. Maybe I'm going to take my funds out. Let's say somebody bought Bitcoin and now they want to exit with custody of Bitcoin and have self-custody. Uh, is that the point in time when uh, FTX or some combination of these entities acquired the Bitcoin so that they could deliver what the customer was requesting? Well, there's a certain amount of liquidity at a point in time. I, I think the problem happened when, when there was effectively a run of the bank and there was just less, Stop less it right assets there, there than, than, than... The guy goes, the guy goes, there's a certain amount of liquidity at any given point in time. In other words, what he's trying to say is sometimes they've got it, sometimes they don't. It's the problem with fractional reserve banking, too. Everybody's fine leaving their money in the bank as long as they think the bank's got their money. It's when they go to get the money that the bank's like, oh, crap, well, we don't have it all. Same freaking problem. Yeah, but, but the, I mean, let's be honest. The banks at least have a Fed Reserve backstop, at least in the United States. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair point, but it, it's, it's designed to support a system that's essentially fraudulent by nature is what I'm getting at. The fraud is where you create more of it out of thin air. That's the fraud to me. Okay. Uh, Ant, horse field, man. Thanks for letting me skip ahead. I was just going to say uh, estimated 275 exahash. Oh, crap. That's a big jump from yesterday. All right. Uh, I don't know who's next. We've got a ton of hands here. Can I, I just, I'm, jumping on top of what Ant said, um, how, like how many giga electron volts do you, do you think that is? The last time I saw a mining council report, it was somewhere between 0.1 and 0.2% of all of the energy that humanity generates, which is a lot of energy, it's, which is a lot of energy. And I love the framing of it as a force field because that's how much energy you need to dedicate and back up with hardware to undo 10 minutes worth of transactions and potentially double spend one. But I, I, what I wanted to tie it to was the, the article I shared in the Nest from Bitcoin Magazine that uh, Tokyo's um, power generating company, which oversees many nuclear reactors as well, has, um, has agreed to begin uh, a project to mine Bitcoin with its surplus energy. And I'm just thinking about this and it's like, you know, we're in a world today where because the Bitcoin price is down and miners were over enthusiastic, there's a lot of hardware available very inexpensively. 
and this could be a turning point. I'm not saying it is, but this could be a turning point where power generating companies are obviously paying enough attention now that they might say, you know, we can pick up these ASICs really cheap and we can plug in the power that we generate as a surplus, which we usually have to pay people to take to instead of paying people to take it, generating money with it. And that could be a really important pivot point uh, because there's a lot of people who foresee that it will be the power generating companies that do the vast majority of Bitcoin mining because they're the ones who have the cheapest access to it. So just, uh, you know, more, more news. Yeah, that only makes sense. I like the positioning as well. This is how much energy is required to undo 10 minutes worth of transactions, which is the reason why it's so freaking, this is the reason why it's the, it's the, the most secure computing network that's ever been created by mankind that mankind has ever seen. Go ahead, Paul. Good morning. Good morning. I just was going to follow up on the uh, custody comments on that clip that you played. I don't, I don't think most of the people in this space really realize the game changing environment you're in when you're, when you have a bearer instrument like Bitcoin. And I, I know Caitlin Long pushes this point a lot, but just as an example, like if, if, if you take any stock, just say like Apple stock, right, that's widely held, people are so used to having, seeing Apple stock in their account at their brokerage firm or at their advisory firm that they just assume that they, they own those shares. They don't. And as a matter of fact, uh, it's really hard to even have an actual count of how many Apple shares are even in existence because you're getting IOUs placed into your account through the transfer agent and the custodian that says that they owe it to you. But a classic example in 2008 during the financial collapse, uh, that when all the creditors came in on the Dole bankruptcy, right, they couldn't find enough actual stock certificates to give everybody their shares. Um, so th this happens not only in dollars, but it happens in, in stocks. It happens in bonds. I mean, the average bond, they say, is rehypothecated something like, you know, 13 times. So, so Bitcoin is truly the only asset you can really own for yourself. Uh, and we haven't had bare instruments in the United States for whew, decades. So... Uh, it's not it's not unreasonable for the average uh, holder of Bitcoin to not really comprehend uh, the fact that they don't own in these accounts. So there's still a ton of education that needs to happen regarding what a bearer instrument really is and, and why um, Bitcoin continually clears out this all this rehypothecation and all this paper Bitcoin. And it'll just happen over and over and over again until people learn their lesson. Yeah, Paul, what a what a beautiful thing, right? Because uh, you know people people don't realize they don't even own their own property. The only reason you own your own property is because there's the potential of you having a weapon to protect that property. And yeah, I agree with you 100. percent There is there. This is the you know I'm I'm I'll say it again. I'm 58 years old. This is the first time in my life that I've actually I, I've I've actually owned something. It's not I virtually own it. I actually own it, and no one can take it away from me. Absolutely. I'm in the 50 and up Bitcoin owner club too. So cheers.
Uh, Stack King, good morning. Then we'll go back with Tony. Yeah, I don't want to side blank or sideways the conversation. But when I first came up, it was about uh, FTX and Bankman Freed and Elon was on a space last night with that Narwhal guy here. It's crazy space that gets like 15,000 people on it. And he was asked about what should happen to Bankman. And he said probably should only serve like five years. Maybe if he acts up or acts out a little bit, they up it to 10 years. But he really shouldn't do any significant time. So kind of interesting about how that comes out. All right, let's keep moving. Tomer, what do you got? Uh, <laughs> we're doing a round robin on, on topics. Um, I, I just wanted to talk more about um, about the Bitcoin mining and energy thing, but maybe we'll come back around to it a little bit later so that we can stay focused on one topic at a time. I'm also having yeah. trouble hearing other speakers, so I, I might just drop and rejoin. Right on. Um, okay, moving on. It's looking like Binance might be a little shaky. So here's an interesting phenomenon that's occurring is, is that for a while in 2022, Corey was calling out all these things. <laughs> and almost, I don't think there's a single one he called out that didn't actually go down. I think, what was the first one? Was it Celsius or Luna? I think it was Luna. Luna, yeah, Luna. First it was Luna, then it was, so these are the big ones anyway. There's lots of little ones that Corey really didn't talk much about, but the big ones were, were Luna, Terra Luna, and then Celsius, and then FTX. Uh, and now it's become like a big thing where there's lots of, lots of folks that are, well, I shouldn't say nobody's ever looked at this kind of stuff before. Plenty of people have. But uh, it's becoming a thing where everybody's trying to be the first to predict who's gonna fail. <laughs> uh, but Binance is not looking so good, I guess. I saw a copy of a of a DM from Dylan Leclaire, who he said is fine. Go ahead, post this. But I guess I guess on Binance, there's execs bailing out, institutional capitals fleeing, uh, and there's charges coming. One more reason, man. Maybe get your Bitcoin off the exchanges until all of this um, is done. Yeah, so there was a massive amount of Bitcoin that was withdrawn from Binance in the last 24 to 48 hours. I, I saw people posting tweets. I don't, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was, it was in the, like the tens of thousands of Bitcoin were being withdrawn into self custody. So, you know, you like this is what a bank run looks like, and if if everything's backed, no problem. But if there's fractional reserve or unavailable assets or paper Bitcoin, the last people in line are not going to be getting theirs out. So it's just wise, you know, for insurance sake to take your own money off of these exchanges. Brandon, we haven't heard from you yet, I don't think. Good morning. Shout out to Nico in the audience, throwing you an invite. 
All right. I think um, I was planning on doing some of this translation of propaganda. <clears throat> I think we should run through some of these things. Now, this is these are just examples of like articles or whatever that are written with with wording that is to me anyway clearly propaganda. I'll let you decide. This is what I think. I mean, so this is an example of a headline paragraph. President Joe Biden's, and this is not, okay, don't be all, hey, he's attacking Democrats. I'm not. I'm, I'm attacking politicians, all right? <laughs> Any of them who are, who are anti-freedom, um, you know, that's, I'm not all about that. So anyway, President Joe Biden's $369 billion Inflation Reduction Act it cracks me up how when these things are written in history, they use it's it's gaslighting. This is the technical term for it. In in you know, professional circles, if you read the the books, I think it's called DSM five or something like that. Anyway, <clears throat> the technical term gaslighting is what what they use to basically say the opposite of what's the truth. <laughs> To confuse you. So the Inflation Reduction Act, it's a $369 billion thing. <laughs> and the crazy thing is they're calling it a way to reduce inflation when in fact printing more money is the cause. It's literally the cause of inflation. Uh, and, the, and the purpose of it is to support climate-friendly technologies. <laughs> Again, on this whole thing about climate-friendly I mean, you could wrap any any. You can use that as an excuse to to spend money like crazy, really. Uh, and they have, and I think they probably continue to, will continue to has sparked widespread anxiety. Okay, here we go. This is the reason they're doing it, folks. Has sparked widespread anxiety. It's the fear thing. People are scared. All these scared little furry animals running around who are afraid of the dinosaurs in the bushes. They're scared, so they have widespread anxiety. Therefore, these people have to save everyone. In the EU, over fears it will, it will lure companies to the United States, prompting Brussels to draw up its own plan that some fear, again, some fear, here's the fear, all the little furry animals scurrying around in the bushes, could balloon into a transatlantic trade war. It's the justification used for spending $369 billion. You understand what you understand why this drives me crazy? It's really about focus wealth on extraction though, Alex. It's not about what's that? It's really about wealth extraction. I mean, regardless of whether or not climate change is real, what they're doing is they are extracting wealth from the masses and and giving it to the the few. Yes, 100% correct. I mean, leaving aside completely the idea of whether climate change or whether there's a climate crisis. I mean, maybe there is, all right? Let's 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 say for a moment there is. The point is, it's cover for them to spend hundreds of billions, create out of, I should rather say, create out of thin air first and then spend hundreds of billions of dollars, which and, is what is causing all the world's problems right now. Yeah, and what people need to realize is that that is the act of wealth extraction because we're all paying for it. 100%. This is known as the Cantillon effect. 
right? What does that mean? It means the people closest to the money printer get to spend the money first. And as that money finds its way to the greater economy, each unit, each U.S. dollar buys less goods. The value of it, the purchasing power of it goes down. This is not a conspiracy. You can see it around us every single day. My grocery budget or bills, I should say, the expenses for groceries are up at least 40% over last year. Am I alone in this? I just ordered a uh, uh, prime rib uh, for uh, Christmas dinner, and it's 18 to 20 pounds. And I, di I didn't even ask how much it is. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to be shocked when I go to pick it up, but I, I'm preparing myself for that. I, I just, I didn't even want to ask. I know it's going to, I know I'm going to be shocked. So these are the, these are the things that Bitcoin is designed to solve. Here's another one that drives me nuts and we'll kind of open it up. You guys can talk about whatever you want here. Um, here's the headline. Financial stability board is set. Or, or I'm sorry, the Financial Stability Board to set global standards for crypto regulation in 2023. I have to take a deep breath here. <clears throat> the author, in my opinion, is a straight propagandist. This, this article appeared in BitcoinIST.com. It's some... The author is one, one word, or I should say first name only, no last name, no identifying information, no picture, just somebody who writes, quote, for the crypto industry. 100% propaganda. The article goes, the Financial Stability Board is an international authority, keyword, international authority that oversees the global financial system. Sounds important and has sprung into action regarding crypto regulations, like superheroes, like the Avengers. They've showed up on the scene. They're going to save us all, guys. The thing that tweaks me about this, first of all, they're not an authority. They have no authority. They're unelected. They have zero authority. That shit is completely fucking made up on the FSB's website about the FSB. The Financial Stability Board is an international body that monitors and makes recommendations about the global financial system. Do you see what I'm talking about here? They're, they This kind of nonsense where they're positioning these non-elected people to basically make decisions that affect billions of people. Unbelievable. <clears throat> So according to Dietrich Domanski, the outgoing secretary general of the FSB, recent events have emphasized the urgency to address the risks in the crypto space. Again, superheroes, the Avengers. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. We all asked for this. No, we didn't. Domanski explained that several crypto market participants accused authorities of being hostile to innovation. <laughs> But to Domansky, they have been accommodating. They're accommodating to crypto innovations. Isn't it, isn't it gracious of them to be so accommodating? Why, thank you, sirs. I don't know what to say. I'm just really... Ugh. Anybody have any thoughts, comments? We can move on if no. 
Well, I mean, Alex, there's nothing really new about groups like NGOs being set up and funded by certain private interests to come out with material to try to persuade the world that the position that is of benefit to the funders of these organizations should be made into policy or law or, or things like that. I mean, this has been going on for, for many decades um, and, and it affects every industry. And so now we, of course, see it affecting this industry. You always have to try to follow the money and see like who, who's funding these organizations and what, and sometimes these organizations have very explicitly stated goals. They're not even hidden, right? It's like, we want to make sure that regulations are friendly to crypto companies because we're funded by crypto exchanges. So it's very easy to see where these things come from. What's, what's kind of become really sad, I guess, I mean, there's other words you can use to describe it, is that the media now, because it's so impoverished because of, of how it's structured now, just repurposes press releases from these organizations and republishes them without any scrutiny. And so what are PR pieces, PR release, pub, you know, public relations releases from corporations essentially are, are taken as at face value as news and, and get republished and repurposed this way. And I mean, I think that's why you could, you could see something as ridiculous as those puff pieces on Sam Bankman Freed, you know, like he paid to have a video produced of what a nice guy he is, how he's a vegetarian how, and it got played on the media as though it were actual news. It was a self-promotion piece designed to distract from the fact that he was actually stealing everybody's money and the media replayed it and defended it to, to the extent that any reporters actually showed up. Yeah, <clears throat> well said. That, that pretty much nails it. I mean, it's basically garbage journalism. And I think you're right. I think that what's prompting the garbage journalism is, is that all these different outlets have zero vetting. It's not really journal journalism. Like they're doing anything they can, they get, they're publishing anything they can to attract traffic. They don't care how garbage it is. And so as people <laughs> with a single, a single name, a first name, no last name, no identification other than that, no picture, just a quote, crypto journalist <laughs> can, can submit a piece like that. And it gets published with with no thinking about what it's actually saying. That's I think that's dead on. Peter. So I, I wanted to say that, you know, when you're talking about um, administrators and bureaucrats being able to implement these these projects and, and plans, um, you know, we have to lay the lay the blame where it is due. And that's at the feet of the legislatures. And it's, it's interesting, too, that, you know, we, we often talk about in here how there's there's so little uh, financial education. People don't know what the definition of money is. They can't explain it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And this and this financial system has just become so complicated uh, in in the fiat uh, in the fiat era. And, you know, the other thing is, is that in 1981, um, I took the uh, last high school class of civics that was offered in um, the school district. I mean, actually, I think it's the state that I'm in. And, you know, we don't teach civics anymore. So people really don't know how to differentiate, you know, between what is, what, what, people don't understand how public policy is created and what public policy is. 
And that's what our legislators do. That's what our executive uh, 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 that's what our executive signs off on. And that's how these these systems are created and administered. And if people had a better idea of how civics works, how how our political system works, the, the actual nuts and bolts of it, they might be more inclined to become involved and try to voice their opinion. Instead, you have um, districts that have 180,000 people in them, and only 20,000 of the people in those districts actually take the time to vote or give their input on any particular uh, public policy that is being created. And the politician's going to look around and he's going to, they're going to say, well, you know, who am I going to, I'm going to listen to the people that are, that are actually involved. Those are the people that are putting me in office. It's, it's just absolutely crazy. I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to a Bitcoin, uh, hyper Bitcoinized world. I figure a lot of this kind of stuff, I mean, the, the, a lot of this will always be with us because as Tomer said, you know, this is as old as this kind of stuff is as old as man. But <clears throat> when you de-resource a lot of activities and you punish activities that are currently being rewarded that are not really in the benefit of mankind, that's a, that's a screwed up incentive structure. And it starts with dishonest money. Super looking forward to this as we go. I, I think, Alex, when, you know, when we say where do, where do we lay the blame, a lot of Bitcoiners follow the money and say, oh, it, it comes to where the money spigot is. Because if you can conjure money through public relations or through advertising or through, through something other than actual, real, honest, good work, then you do then you do that again it pays to be dishonest it pays to manipulate everything and all everything gets corrupted so shutting off the valve of easy money of free money of money conjured into existence i think shuts off all of the incentives to engage in these behaviors that ultimately harm all the people who aren't engaged in these behaviors and and they do so through various forms of deception and dishonesty you know like you I, I i can go into examples but this is coming to the crypto space right now and so the media is getting ads from coinbase and crypto.com and ftx and all these people who bought super bowl ads is a great example so the media doesn't want to kill the golden goose so they don't bother to investigate what's going on here they in fact try to prop promote and prop up where the bread is buttered and, and crypto is nothing but printing money right it's like the cantillon effect on steroids crypto really just shows us all the weaknesses in the fiat money system accelerated and it's just a great little sub example of how confused everything ends up getting and and, and who ends up paying the price as well yeah everybody does right because it affects all of our money yeah. And then and then you get the knee-jerk reaction of certain legislators want to try to ride in on the white horse and save everyone like the Avengers, like they have Avenger envy. <laughs> oh, these other regulators are or these other legislators are are getting all the limelight for being the the white knight. This recent thing 
<laughs> apparently that was just proposed by Senator Warren and Marshall is a huge dumpster fire. It's called the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act. <laughs> Again, with these so names we know. of the legislature. <laughs> yeah, so we know it's meant to launder non-digital assets. Hundred percent. That's how you know. <laughs> or they're or they're uh they're jealous, like they didn't get any, right? <laughs> Maybe all this this forty million dollars that were flowing to politicians were not going to Warren and she's like pissed. Uh, anyway, we'll talk more about that particular thing tomorrow because I haven't had a chance to read it and go over it yet, but it looks pretty bad. I mean, they're basically trying to force anybody who maintains uh, public infrastructure, either through software development, in, in other words, they're going after coders, right, developers, or uh, maybe miners, maybe anybody who's running a lightning node. They're basically trying to get everybody to register as financial institutions, which is insane. Take a Xanax before you read it. <laughs> Good morning, Just to Isabel. Talk about morning. How are you, Alex? I'm fantastic. Thank you. I was just going to say, like, popping it, this is just my immediate assumption, but my immediate assumption on, on Warren's incentives here is that she's got to be taking money from big banks. Like, I mean, I, like, I just feel that, like, that's, there must be some, you know, protecting the J.P. Morgans of the world, protecting their access to the spigot. That would be my guess as to her reasoning. Maybe. It's possible. Lots, of, I mean, I... I think it's fair to, to, to make, or, or at least to do the bono thing, right? Like, I mean, to me, that's, that's a pretty smart way to approach any situation. Who benefits? Kui bono. Think about who might right. benefit. I mean, unless you actually know, you don't really know, but. You know, and don't we already have anti-laundering, money laundering um, laws in place? And so this is also typical of what you were talking about a little earlier with with the white knight politicians because all they're doing is adding another layer on laws that are already in place that are have been quite effective over time so yeah this, this is just this is yeah it's kind of like well it's actually like, uh, it's, it's actually like questionable whether whether amlkyc actually does anything there's a guy who's a phd he's, he's written a lot about this he's probably the leading specialist on amlkyc effectiveness in the world and he disagrees. <laughs> He's like, this stuff is is useless, basically. It doesn't actually do what it's purported or what it's supposed to do. It doesn't actually stop money laundering. In fact, the vast, vast amount of money laundering that occurs is in United States dollars, not cryptocurrencies, first of all. But second of all, even all the stuff that's designed to stop money laundering and terrorist financing in U.S. dollars doesn't work. Like in, in the payoff, it's just one more insertion of middlemen into the transactional economy for them to siphon off wealth. That's really all it is. It's a toll. It's a toll booth in the form of regulation, in the form of compliance. And now you've got all these people that have to fucking do the paperwork to satisfy the regulators that doesn't actually do shit. The, the real effectiveness is near zero. 
really. There were, in one of the articles this guy was writing about, the, the, the head at the time of one of the largest narco-trafficking organizations in the world was basically praising the current AML-KYC laws, saying they work in their favor. <laughs> that's, that's so mind-blowing. We got to get that guy on the show. He was here once, long time ago. We got to get him again. Ron Paul, I think, is his name. Not the old, not the old gentle doctor Ron Paul, but a different Ron Paul. Go ahead, Paul. I was just gonna say, you know, I always turn that argument around on people by pointing out that, you know, we, we all walk around with dollar bills in our wallet, and the only reason why we're allowed to self custody dollar bills is because they're fiat issued by the government. As soon as we start to custody an asset that they don't control is when they have a problem. Yeah, they don't like that. Well, they so there's, there's this concept called ring fencing of capital. This thing's been around for a long time. And as we've watched become more and more basically, um, the whole purpose is to trap your capital into pools that only certain players within the ecosystem get to access in terms of fees. Okay, if you look at the pension systems throughout the world, they're basically they can't own underlying assets. They must own securitized products. I never really understood that. This goes all the way back to the gold days. Like, you know, this was almost I guess this would have been about 10 years ago. I remember being at a conference and the conference was for institutions like there was pension funds, there was um just large institutional money. I can remember sitting in this room and, and the amount of assets under management for 300 people-ish in the room was approaching $5 trillion worth of, worth of assets. And I was trying to talk to them about buying physical gold, and they're like, well, that sounds great, but we can't. I'm like, what do you mean you can't? Like, well, they're not allowed to. They have to buy a securitized product. Well, it's a securitized product. That's a product that's wrapped in a security, it's not really the underlying thing. So what is that? That's like a GBDC or something like that. You can think of a securitized product as a derivative. What's a derivative? It's not the original thing. Orange juice is a derivative of an orange, right? But why? Like Kui Bono, why? I never understood the why. Well, the why is, is that whoever takes the orange and turns it into orange juice and sells it to you gets to make money on that process. That's why. It's ring fencing of people's wealth into pools of capital that only certain players in the ecosystem get to access. And I mean, they're trying to do it with everything. When you hear this push against self-custody, like this new terminology coming out of the EU, unhosted wallets, meaning it's not centralized, meaning they can't access it, they can't control it. They can't control what you're doing with your own wealth. That's a problem for the lizard people. They don't like that stuff. No other thoughts? Anybody else? All right. I guess we'll move on. <laughs> I don't know if you guys get tired of hearing me talk about this stuff. I, You know, when it comes up and I see it, I feel like I, I, I need to talk about it. So if you guys are really sick of hearing me talk about that, give me some feedback. But, like, I, no, I feel Alex, like people need to know this stuff. It's it's good what you're saying, Alex. I just we don't always have something to add on to it. So sorry for not giving the feedback, but I I think you're you're making a lot of good points, and we can go deep into some of these discussions. But you're right. 
So <laughs> positive feedback there. Look at the audience count. People haven't left the room on mass. They keep coming in. Fair enough. Let's talk about social media because it's changing, right? There's a lot of folks who were like, hey, you know, this thing with Elon buying Twitter is going to be a gigantic nothing burger. Other people were like, no, nah, it's just going to get worse. It's pretty fascinating. You can't say that it hasn't changed. Apparently, the metrics are skyrocketing. The number of new users are is rising. The amount of bots is down. The amount of interactions is up. I don't know. I suspect all that kind of stuff is positive. But Jack Dorsey, apparently, I mean, he's been talking about this thing, Blue Sky, this project that he's been working on ever since he left Twitter. And just some thoughts on on this uh, that maybe we can talk about here if you guys want to, is that, so this was from an article in Cointelegraph, and it goes, with the internal investigation led by Elon Musk identifying censorship-related issues on Twitter, Jack Dorsey's promoting free and open protocols for social media. Okay, sounds great. What are these, what is his criteria for free and open protocol? Well, according to this article, it is number one making it resilient from corporate or government control. Sounds good. Number two, giving the right to remove content solely to the author. And number three, implementing modern moderation, excuse me, through algorithmic choice, meaning users could choose what kind of content they see. I think these are all great ideas. How do you implement this stuff? I have no idea. That's why we have the Jack Dorsey's of the world. He goes on to say, I'm a strong believer that any content produced by someone for the internet should be permanent until the original author chooses to delete it. I think that's fantastic. Having platforms able to remove your content and quote deplatform you, I think is kind of a bullshit model. It should always be available and addressable. Content takedowns and suspensions should not be possible. Totally agree with that. Dorsey believes that the, okay, this is important. This is where things started going off the rails at Twitter, apparently. Dorsey believes that the Twitter platform under his leadership and the current Twitter do not meet the three principles that he mentioned and blamed himself for not fighting for the platform. And he wrote, this is my fault alone as I completely gave up pushing for these, these, these things when an activist entered our stock in 2020. This is when I planned my exit at that moment, knowing I was no longer right for the company. Wow. Mind-blowing, right? Dorsey also noted that the biggest mistake was focusing on building tools to manage the public conversation instead of creating tools that let Twitter users manage it for themselves. That's who, pretty who, incredible. Who was the activist that he was referring to? Do you know? I don't know, but it's not surprising that he framed it that way. Yeah, there's no way that he's going to, like, he can't really, there's no way he's going to say that. But it's interesting because I feel, you know, personally, those kinds of experiences, like that kind of experience where an investor will come in and just do her, you know, that's, it's so common. I feel that there's like, there's no way to avoid that. And this all just sort of feels like a giant advertisement for like, you know, more open source programming and, you know, start nines kind of vibe, the marketplaces for um, just like a new way of operating social. I mean, if you want to say social media companies in general. 
Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I mean, one way you could you could avoid that kind of nonsense is, is to just be really careful who's on your cap table and have a private company. That's one way. I mean, everything yeah. changes when you go public. I mean, the the kind of pressures that you face as as leadership of a company change depending upon when it's public. Anybody can buy into your cap table, right? Yeah. Alex, I, I think um, a really interesting component to this discussion is what John Cravalho is doing with Synonym, where your profile, your identity will live on your server and you'll be logging into any online platform with your private keys. So, so you'd be hosting essentially all your own content. So they could say block you from uh, opening up an account on a platform, but they couldn't, you would never lose your content. You would never lose your data. Um, and I think that that's an integral part to plug into what Jack is building. Um, so, so that, because that would distribute your content from your server across multiple platforms. One platform may not like what you're saying and they might, they might, uh, not let you participate, but they never still monetize your content. It, it looks like the uh, activist investor was Silver Lake. Why is every investor just a compound word of two words, usually the first one being a color and the second one being some geological thing like Black Rock, Silver Lake, White Stone? I, I, don't, I don't even know if there is a White Stone, but I bet you there is. And if not, if I was going to start an investment company, it would be called White Stone. What, <laughs> why do they all have these? Blackstone's owner. Black, there's a black stone. There should be a white stone, and uh, there, there's a brown. What's the one that owned that Nidig is involved in? It's got the word brown in it, isn't it? I, I, I get I get so confused. That's not why I wanted to speak. Brown pile, to... brown pile. <laughs> so <there is>. like <laughs> Domer, it's like how do you come up with your stripper name? It's the at the street you lived on as a kid, right? Yeah. No, I think it's the it's the image. I mean, you know, you probably you already know this, but it's the image that it evokes. You know, yeah. it's it's like with circle, right? Green I mean, tree. what is circle is such a beautiful and and you know, it's such a beautiful thing, and it's it's this it's it's holistic and everything else. And circle is it's kind of like what Alex was talking about before. You know, it's propaganda. It's just the complete app opposite of what it actually is. So, like you're saying, if I went down to Black Rock's offices, there isn't actually a, a Black Rock that's perfect. And anyhow, I want to change the subject. But That'd be hilarious. So like you walk into the foyer and there's a pedestal with a with a glass case and a well, big Black Rock in the middle. But 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 Black Rock to me evokes this image of something very common, right? Uh, it's just another pebble on the beach, right? When Black Rock is anything but just another pebble on the beach. It's fascinating. Well, we, we can do it. Let me, what I wanted to say as we were talking about all the censorship and self-control and stuff is like the internet is, people may not like this word, but it's always been or almost always been informational warfare. I mean, the thing was set up to survive a, a kinetic nuclear war, but um, uh, Jameson Lopp, who I know has gotten some hard times in the last couple of weeks, wrote an article this weekend i think or in the last few days about how he, it was something like rest in peace smtp which is the mail transfer protocol and he was just talking about how informational warfare and spam has become so significant that it's it's no longer possible to 
operate mail as a decentralized platform because so much trust has been introduced to it. And it's a great article. Um, I'll see if I can find it and share it here for people who want to read it. Nice quick history of the history of email on the internet and how trust became a part a part of it all. So I'll definitely share it. But I, I think um, part of what you realize is there's always an arms race between people trying to exploit the internet and people trying to use it. Um, and that's, that's a big part of where these things are headed. So I don't think we'll see one final quick fix because whatever, you know, it's just like the bots on Twitter for everyone here who's familiar with them. You know, some measure is taken to stop them and someone comes up with something a little bit more annoying to figure out how to how to trump it. So it, it's always an arms race of one thing versus the next. We may have some really effective countermeasures, ironically, or not ironically, right? Pre presaged um, by Adam Back's invention of proof of work that now finally find their way here um, through Bitcoin. Like if you had to actually send one Satoshi over lightning with every email that you sent or every message that you sent to someone who wasn't following you back on Twitter, as an example, then it would become very expensive to spam. And, and it could be an accepted standard that's very easy to share. So this back and forth uh, informational warfare is just was just going to be my point here before I got distracted with Blackstone and White Rock and Green Lake. You know, you know and, real, and real quick, Alex, just real quick, the way that an activist investor influences a company, just so people know, is they come in, they buy a certain amount of shares, and then they are able to put individuals on the board. And that is how they get this undue influence is they get on the on the board and they are able to influence the direction of the company based on their proof of stake. I kind of feel like that's part of what we do here. Like part of our job is to try to dispel the propaganda and to bring signal. I mean, the, I feel like that's that's the purpose of what we're doing here to help people understand Bitcoin, especially obviously, and and how it solves so many of these problems. TC, good morning. What's up, man? Hey guys, good morning. Um, enjoying the conversation. I just joined about ten minutes ago. I really wasn't sure if you guys covered this already. Did you guys talk about the bipartisan bill that was just introduced in the Senate? Name. Uh. Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act. Yeah, it came up. We're going to cover it more thoroughly tomorrow, I think. But yeah, it looks right. pretty it crazy. Looks like, uh, yeah, it looks like uh, they just launched some nuclear torpedoes at the entire thing, including Bitcoin. So um, it's, pretty, it's pretty awful. The language in there, if this is passed, this would have like major, major impact. So um, yeah, I just was curious if you guys brought it up. I think Alex yeah, framed it as the um, as the the uh, way to to launder money digitally if you are close to the money printer. Well, the, that way has always existed. Um, this is just about sort of removing competition. Hundred <laughs> percent removing competition. I agree. All right, uh, we're. At the top of the hour, let's hit some announcements real quick and we will keep rolling. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin. We talk about lots of things that intersect with Bitcoin. I mean, the purpose of, of what we're doing here, what we call getting on the mission is 
helping people understand how Bitcoin solves a lot of these problems. It may sound like sometimes we're just going on and on about the world's problems. And it's just like, there's a purpose to that. <clears throat> I mean, the idea is not to just point out the problems. The idea is to point out the solution. And that's what I feel like we, we do. That's what we try to do here. Um, it is also the place for your morning news, a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Chill, talk about what's going on. It's live on Twitter Spaces every day at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, rolling for two hours. If you cannot catch it live, also a podcast found on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your pods. You can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. Speaking of Swan, Swan has an app. You can download, install, rate it, review it if you like it. I like it there's no shit coins on it one encourages you to take self-custody as soon as you buy your bitcoin there's also lots of educational resources on there swan's very focused on educating people on bitcoin that's the mission all right um what else we got going on coming up here in a little bit we've got sam callahan who just recently dropped an article that we're going to be talking about. By the way, good morning, Sam, and welcome, Dr. Callahan. Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Sam's a lead analyst at Swan. Very smart cat. Um, hey, Sam. Hey, Tomer. What's going on, man? Aunt TC, Isabel, Peter, Brandon. How you guys doing? Pretty Great. Good. Hi. Good to see you. Sam, what's the name of your article? Why do you write this thing? Apparently, it's Sam adjusting his posture. <laughs> did I did I lose? <laughs> I no, think I just were, lost connection. You were muted. muted. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I, I I lost connection there for a second. Did you ask me something, Alex? I did. I was saying, what was the name of What's your up? article and why did you write it? Oh, okay. Here we go. Um, yeah, no, I wrote it because, um, you know, I just think that a lot of these lenders, um, this crypto credit contagion, a lot of it started with GBTC and a lot of it started uh, basically for the SEC not allowing the conversion of GBTC into a spot Bitcoin ETF. And then it was also caused by just the tighter monetary policy. So treasury yields going up, higher cost of capital, all this speculative growth, token investments and these crypto Ponzi schemes, highly leveraged organizations just started blowing up when the cost of capital got high. Um, but GBTC was kind of the start of it. And so, um, you know, full disclosure, you know, since GBTC is a security, you know, this is not financial advice. Um, do your own research. Uh, this should only be taken as entertainment reasons. And then full disclosure, I do own a little bit of GBTC in a um, old 401k I rolled over a, a long time ago. Uh, not negligible amount, but um, I do own some. So before we get into that, I just wanted to say those disclosures. But yeah, we can get into it. But yeah, I just think a lot of this started and is now coming full circle um, with Genesis now and DCG and Grayscale. So I went I went deep into it. Um, I've been following this since I owned it since like 2018. I've been following the developments of GBTC for a long time now and kind of understand the market structure of the industry well. 
Um, so, so I could kind of dig into this and explain it for people, especially because like 850,000 uh, accounts own GBTC. It's in mutual funds, ETFs. Um, the realistically, there's probably people who are maybe concerned about their GBTC holdings. And I wanted to like at least lay out uh, the information, kind of talk about the options and what it means for GBTC holders as well as spot Bitcoin um, if something happened to that trust. And so that's why I wrote it. Outstanding. So if I'm understanding correctly, the summary idea here is, is that everything we're seeing right now with all of these different institutions blowing up in the quote crypto space, it all started with GBDC. This is where it all began, basically. Uh, yep. Can we can we unpack it? First of all, what is GBDC for those people who don't know? Um, how did it begin? And uh, maybe we could dig into a little bit about how it works. Yeah, so GBTC is the largest um, Bitcoin fund. It's a, it's a Bitcoin trust in the world. So um, it is run by Digital Currency Group, and then directly the sponsor is Grayscale. So Digital Currency Group is what I would call a conglomerate from Barry Silbert. Silbert. Um, they've invested in over like 200 cryptocurrency companies, huge venture portfolio. Um, but really a lot of the revenues come from two companies and that was Genesis global trading, which is a crypto prime broker. Um, they do like lending and custodial services for institutional investors, like big firms, that kind of thing. Um, and then grayscale, which runs the, the big Bitcoin trust GBTC. Um, and so. At the current price, GBTC holds $11.4 billion worth of Bitcoin. Um, that's 635,235 Bitcoin, or 3.3% of the entire Bitcoin circulating supply is in this trust. And so it became very popular because it was the only way for investors to get exposure to Bitcoin in these tax-advantaged accounts like IRAs and 401ks um, for many, many years. And so it kind of blew up in size. And to understand why all this contagion started here, you have to understand how the actual trust works. And so GBTC um, is a closed-end trust. And so what that means is that Grayscale creates shares of the trust through private placements. And private placement is the sale of a stock to accredited investors and institutions rather than being available to the public, like on a, the New York Stock Exchange. So an accredited investor is just anybody who has an income of over $200,000 or $300,000 with their spouse or any person who has a net worth exceeding $1 million. So think, you know, rich people were able to create shares or buy shares into the trust. And when they do that, they can do that at NAV. And so NAV is just basically the number of Bitcoin divided by the GBT shares. So the Bitcoin underlining the trust. So in a perfectly harmonized world, the number of shares in the closed-end fund would match the level of demand for the shares, and the share price would equal how much the underlying Bitcoin is in the trust. And so when accredited investors basically give Grayscale some Bitcoin, and they receive shares at NAV, and after a six-month lockup period, the investors can then convert the shares um, basically into actual GBT shares that can be traded on the open market. And so investors can never take the original Bitcoin out of the trust. There's no redemption clause. They can only sell their GBTC shares after a six-month lockup period. 
And the reason that this is important is it creates a dynamic where the share price of GBTC can trade on the open market above and below the net asset value of the Bitcoin that underlies the trust. And so when a GBTC is trading at a premium, that means the GBTC shares are trading at a higher price than the value of the underlying Bitcoin in the trust. When it's trading at a discount, it means the GBTC shares are trading at a lower price than the value of the underlying Bitcoin. And so there's a lag basically. So when these accredited investors create shares of GBTC by giving Bitcoin to Grayscale to put in the trust, they have to wait six months. And so this can create increased demand when there's a shortage of GBTC shares available on the open market, especially during a bull market when all these retail investors are like, hey, I want exposure in my 401k and they're all buying up the GBT shares, GBTC shares. Um, and this hurts investors holding GBTC because there are just wild fluctuations between the price of GBTC compared to the underlying Bitcoin. And this is why Grayscale really wants to change it into an ETF. Um, because as an ETF, Grayscale would be able to create and redeem shares um, at the same time to bring the, the trust uh, in line with NAV or the shares in line with NAV. So that would be an optimal investment product for investors because there would be no discounts or premiums. But they haven't been approved for one of those. And so what this led to was these arbitrage opportunities for these large accredited investors like Three Arrows Capital, like BlockFi, like any high net worth individual could put on these trades and take advantage of these premiums and discounts within the trust. And as we will probably get into, this led to all these opportunities and all this leverage to kind of basically play this premium trade that became wildly popular. And then once it disappeared, um, things started to really fall apart until we've seen the kind of blowups across all these crypto lenders. And now it's coming back to Genesis and Grayscale and DCG where all this kind of started. And so that's uh, kind of a lot, but that's, that's how the trust works. And, and that's why that there's a premium, there was a premium, and that's why there's a discount now. Um, so yeah, that's a good way, place to start, I think. That's a lot <laughs> to unpack. I, I'm tracking everything you're saying. Like, uh, but just to, to kind of maybe, maybe summarize a little bit, um, ETFs, yeah. the reason that they're able to, the, to match the underlying asset in the ETF is because what Sam said, you know, there's an arbitrage opportunity between the actual values of the shares and the actual value of the underlying asset. And when it's an ETF, they can, you know, players can arb this out in real time and basically keep the share price equivalent to the value of the underlying asset. Yeah, not players, and, actual, the, the ones issuing it. So grayscale or an authorized participant is what they call it. So they would be the ones to be able to keep it in line with NAV and they'd yeah. be able to like kind of manipulate the shares. Right. So grayscale, essentially they're, they're just, they're creating and redeeming the shares, but the ones that are arbing it are the, are the, are the, um, the authorized so-called authorized participants. Right. And the problem yeah, which was Genesis with, and grayscale. Right. The problem with where it's not, um, it's a closed end situation so they can't do that it creates and, and there is this time lag the six month time lag is the problem right because you can't instantly arb out the difference between the, the trading value of the shares and the underlying asset it's kind of like <laughs> it's wonderful when it's going up when the price of bitcoin is going up that's all great fine and dandy but the moment it turns around it's basically a ticking time bomb is that fair to say the whole thing just 
went sideways at that point. Yeah, when the premium trade kind of disappeared. But let's let's talk about like how it, uh, like investors would actually make money off this premium. Um, so when the GPTC shares traded at a premium, um, you know all these institutional investors can basically put on this trade. It became known as the grayscale trade. So essentially, what they would do is they would you know borrow USD um, or Bitcoin from lenders like Genesis. They would then put the Bitcoin into the GBTC trust and obtain GBTC shares, hold the GBTC shares for a six-month lockup period, and then they would sell the GBTC shares on the open market when the lockup ended and collected the premium and profited because the shares didn't trade at NAV, where, but they did obtain the shares at NAV when they originally obtained them. And so if, if it traded at a 23% premium like it did you know, all of 2020, they would get the shares at NAV, wait six months, and then they would get to sell the shares at a 23% premium, collect that 23% difference, and then they would just roll that trade every six months. Okay, so, so this if, created, you're a, if, yeah. if you're a Celsius or you're a, quote, DeFi company that's supposedly giving you, quote, yield on using your assets, <laughs> this is where all that yield was coming from? Is that right? Yeah, a lot of the yield was coming from because especially like BlockFi was a, like, it was very known that they were doing this. And so BlockFi and Three Arrows Capital um, at the end of 2020 were the largest shareholders of GBTC because um, they were putting on this premium trade. It was free money, um, to be clear. Like they were just rolling it over six months. Um, BlockFi basically would be able to offer six to 8% interest on these crypto interest accounts and then they would take the, the funds, rehypothecate them, and basically turn around and throw them into this GBTC premium trade. They would collect 15% or so on that trade, turn around, you know, give the 6 to 8% to the users, and then collect the difference. And this is a very well-known part of their, their business model. It was actually in 2021, there was a leaked fundraising slide like a, from their deck, from their fundraising deck. And it caused a lot of... Um, kind of uproar in, in on Twitter and because they felt like they weren't being honest about what they were doing. I don't think BlockFi was doing anything wrong because in their terms and conditions, they did state that they were doing this. And I just think people didn't understand uh, what it meant to like rehypothecate user funds. But it remains like it, it was a crazy um, unsustainable uh, revenue driver of their business. And a lot of investors like decided not to invest in them because they're like, this is this is like not sustainable. This is just an arb trade, and um, if it disappears, then a lot of their revenues are gone. And um, in 2021, like once the uproar happened where they figured out they were doing this, you know, Zach Prince had to go on these podcasts. That's the CEO of BlockFi, former CEO maybe. Um, and you know, they had to say like, you know, GPTC is substantially less than 20% of our total assets, but they still owned a ton of it because they were the second largest shareholders. Um, and then their risk officer at the time said, you know, locking up Bitcoin in the grayscale could pose a liquidity risk to Bic uh, BlockFi. And that kind of uh, foreshadowed the future. Um, so once this premium switched in February of 2021, BlockFi suddenly lost a lot of its revenue. And you, you, you could see the interest that they offered on the Bitcoin, um, on their Bitcoin interest that uh, accounts just slowly dropped over time because they no longer could put on this trade to fund it. And around that same time as well, BlockFi raised $350 million in a Series D round. Um, 
and I don't think that's a coincidence of the timing because they were like, oh man, we need some capital here. Our like uh, our big trade's gone, and that that premium never came back. It just the discount it turned into a discount. The discount continued to widen, and around that time, they also loaned uh, to Three Arrows Capital about a billion dollars, and that billion dollar loan, a third of it was actually collateralized with GBTC. And so there's like a lot of these incestuous loans with GBTC as the collateral of the loans. And um, so you could see how this is kind of a problem from a, from, a, from a risk standpoint, as well as a liquidity issue. Um, and so this is how it all just kind of got tangled together with GBTC in the middle of all this. And um, and now we're kind of coming full circle. But yeah, so Three Arrows Capital gets involved, but I'll let you, I'll stop there. It's kind of mind-blowing, but it does explain a lot, doesn't it? Like it, it's working as long as it's going up, but uh, as soon as it starts going down, I'm talking about the Bitcoin price. <clears throat> and as soon as that uh, premium or discount to the actual underlying asset switches, you can see how this would force the unwind of everything. And if all of these entities are interli interlinked with each other, with these loans, et cetera, um, that does, does explain a lot. Um, yeah, three yep. Theros Capital was Theros Capital was the biggest shareholder. Like by, they almost had double the shares of BlockFi. It's very well known that they were putting on this trade, and the, the issue was they weren't just putting on this trade; they were putting it on with massive amount of leverage. And who were they getting the leverage from? Was Genesis. So DCG, like I said, owns Genesis and Grayscale, and so. DCG, like they're basically providing leverage for institutions like Three O's Capital to put on this premium trade. And the reason why is because it added AUM to the trust and they collect fees on the trust. So it was in their best interest to basically push leverage into this trade um, and provide that leverage to people like Three O's Capital. And so when Three O's Capital took out a $2.3 billion loan. Um, one, it was collateralized with other GBTC shares, as well as these like shit coins, these like, AVAX token and NEAR token, um, which is, it's ridiculous that they got these like huge loans with that kind of collateral collateralization. Um, but when the premium switched to a discount, you know, 3AC basically had these, this illiquid position of GBTC and after the lockup period, they knew they were going to have to sell at a discount and they would be effectively insolvent and not be able to pay back Genesis on that loan. Um, so what, what did they do was they started to, you know, basically they were desperate and they went to every single freaking lender in the industry and basically used that GBTC position to get more loans, to leverage up even more. And they, they looked for any kind of yield that could make up for the lost premium trade. And where they went was DeFi summer, right? Yield farming, all these risky ass assets, yield, you know, that made no sense. They were basically going levered long, like to the hilt into this DeFi stuff. Um, and then eventually what it came down to was they found Anchor because Anchor was offering 20% yield, you know, free yield. <laughs> and and that made up almost exactly free the yield. amount for, for, yeah, that, that like basically matched the the yield they used to get from the GPC premium trade. 
And so we know that Suzu and, and Kyle Davies from tweets and interviews that they were very into Terra Luna and they're very into the anchor protocol. And when Terra Luna, you know, got completely wiped out and collapsed, 3AC had massive exposure and that's what did it to them. They just, they collapsed after that. But the fact is that they took out all these loans and so they took down all these other lenders with them. And so this is when we saw Celsius go out of business soon after Voyager, um, BlockFi almost went into bankruptcy and then they got, you know, quote unquote bailed out from FTX. Um, and also we learned now that Genesis um, incurred like a $1.2 billion loss when 3AC went down and then DCG basically bailed about. Um, and so that's why I say this starts in, with DCG or the GBTC premium trade, because once it disappeared, it basically pushed out these institutions that were putting on that trade into much, much riskier um, um, investments on leverage that basically turned on them when all of that that stuff went sideways. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, what's super interesting about this to me is, is that, like, everything you're talking about, Sam, I mean, we're really, to be fair, kind of scratching the surface of this whole thing. If you want to deep dive this thing, Sam's article is amazing. Uh, I believe we have a link up in the nest where you can access the entire article itself. But I think what this sort of leads to, I think a lot of people are wondering, like, what happens to DCG? Like, what happens now? <laughs> like, are these guys in trouble? What do you think? Um, DCG and, and Genesis are definitely in a tough spot right now because basically um, – you know, they basically have huge holes in their balance sheets from having exposure to all these blowups. You know, Genesis, um, Genesis had exposure to 3AC, like I just said. They also had maybe the worst trade in history when they traded $1 billion worth of Bitcoin for $1 billion worth of UST with the Luna Foundation, which basically went to zero. So they gave like the hardest money in the world for an Elgo stable coin. <laughs> And so they they got crushed on that. They got crushed on 3AC, um, and then it, they had 175 million uh, trapped on FTX when that collapsed. And so Genesis um, has a huge hole in its balance sheet, and as well as DCG, uh, because DCG actually bailed out Genesis um, after they blew up from 3AC, and then G DCG has been kind of. Um, they have a ton of debt on their balance sheet now after they did that. So essentially, they took on that Three Arrows Capital loan, that $1.1 billion hole on Genesis. They basically just assumed it on their balance sheet. And then, um, and then they also took out a $575 million loan with Genesis to basically try to buy more GBTC shares themselves to try to prop it up. And... If you look at like their buys, you can just look at their SEC filings and when they bought the GBTC shares, you know, they're down about 77% on those GBTC purchases themselves. And, and so basically the problem is liquidity here where Genesis needs liquidity to fund withdrawals and pay its creditors. Um, but they don't, they have all these like long-term investments on their balance sheet. Uh, they basically have a 10-year loan to to DCG, so that's not like a short-term, that's not liquid. Um, and they also have a lot of GBTC shares, which aren't really liquid for GB Genesis or DCG because there's a rule where um, if you are the issuer of, 
security like Genesis or DCG, you can't sell more than 1% of the outstanding shares um, for every quarter. And so right now, DCG owns 66 million shares of GBTC. But according to that rule, um, they can only sell about 6 million or 7 million shares a quarter. And so that's why it's extremely illiquid right now that they have all this GBTC on their balance sheets. Um, and so basically, they're desperate for cash. And DCG owes Genesis $1.7 billion. And um, they're both trying to fill that hole. And so, yeah, the question becomes, what happens to DCG? W what options do they have? What does it mean for GBTC holders? And what does it mean for the price of Bitcoin? Um, and there's a lot of options they have. They, they can sell GBTC shares, but it's like I said, there's a rule about it. And I think they are doing that right now. I think that's why you're seeing the discount widen right now. You're seeing Genesis and DCG probably selling what they can, according to that rule, um, to try to raise cash. But again, that's not even close to the you know $1.7 billion hole that's in their balance sheet or just that they owe to Genesis in, in terms of DCG. And so that's not enough. So what, what else could they do? Well, DCG could raise funds. You know, it was previously valued at $10 billion. Um, it'd probably be a fraction of that today because I was at the top of the, the bull market. Um, and so, you know, there's still value in DCG. They have a giant venture portfolio. Um, and they can kind of leverage Grayscale itself. So Grayscale still brings in, you know, $300 million in fees uh, a year. And so they can leverage that annual revenue to try to raise funds uh, to try to raise cash essentially. So it can leverage those future cash flows. Um, and then they have like assets like Coindesk and Foundry. Um, they have those GBTC shares. So that's about 10% of the total supply right now. They have those, they can leverage those to raise money. Um, they also have bankruptcy claims at 3AC and FTX and Alameda Research. You don't know what's in that value there, but there's probably some residual value in those bankruptcy claims. Um, and so they can leverage all those assets um, to raise capital. But again, that's probably not enough. Um, and then the, la the next thing they could do is they could sell the assets themselves. So there's a rumor that they could sell Coindesk for $300 million um, because they have you know, consensus conference and they actually make like 50 million in annual revenue at Coindesk so they can sell that asset. They could sell Grayscale itself to another sponsor. Um, and that would probably bring in like 400 to 500 million. Uh, but again, it's still probably not enough for them to fill the hole. And why would they sell Grayscale, the trust? Because it would basically put them out of business because that's their big cash cow. And so they would basically sell the trust to raise all this money to try to, you know, stay alive but then why even stay alive because you just sold your main cash cow um the, the next thing they could do is they could restructure the loans and so they have a bunch of loans with genesis and you could restructure the loan so that both parties could have more runway and so it's the best interest kind of of both parties to negotiate a deal um to allow both parties to avoid bankruptcy and so you can do a lot of different things. They could raise a little bit of money for the reasons that I just said, and they could give some of that to Genesis to kind of help them pay off their withdrawals and, and stay alive a little bit. Um, you could roll the, the Genesis creditors could roll their debt into DCG warrants so they could have like a senior claim on the cash flow from GBTC. Um, there's a lot of like different ways they could kind of uh, negotiate their debts 
to try to keep themselves alive. And I think that's probably what's happening right now. That's why it's probably quiet. They're trying to figure out how they can kind of manage this. Um, and all of these things like selling off the trust to a different sponsor, that wouldn't affect GBTC holders at all. I mean, that would just change the sponsor. Um, and, and none of that would affect uh, GBTC shareholders. Now, what would affect GBTC shareholders would if they seek something called Reg M exemption. And so if the SEC approved this, it would basically, Grayscale would have to apply for Reg M relief, which would allow GBTC shareholders to redeem their shares for the underlying assets at, at a one-to-one -one ratio. And so it would basically eliminate the, the discount to NAV um, overnight. And so that 45% would disappear. Um, GBTC shareholders would be able to so wait, take... Let me see if I understand this right. You're saying that under Reg M, they would redeem in-kind, meaning shareholders would get the Bitcoin? Yeah, if the, if the SEC allowed that, yeah. They would have to basically approve in-kind redemption for shareholders to take custody of the underlying Bitcoin. Um, but this would pose a lot of challenges for GBTC shareholders because a lot of it is in those retirement accounts that aren't legally allowed to hold spot Bitcoin. But mm. they could redeem the they they could redeem at one to one in cash too. So it wouldn't be the worst thing for them either. I mean, they would just get cash, but it wouldn't be a forty five percent discount. Then it would be a wow. That actually half. seems so, like a pretty reasonable solution. Like yeah, no, it is. That would be the best but, solution if you're a GBDC shareholder, right? Yeah, that yeah, I would definitely say that. I just don't think it's going to happen because Reg M exemption and an ETF approval are pretty much the same thing. I mean, you're basically giving Grayscale the ability to create an issue or uh, create and redeem shares simultaneously. And so the, it becomes political where the SEC would be seen as supportive for the cryptocurrency industry in the wake of the FTX collapse. Oh, in other words, and so I, screw, screw the GBDC shareholders, like, yep. you know, screw all you guys. Like, this is, yep. this is important to us politically, so you're just going to have to suck it up. <laughs> That's messed up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly what's happening, um, and so they could they could do that. I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, here's where it gets interesting: is because there's no reason why Grayscale can't offer redemptions today, and if they actually cared about GBTC shareholders, they would allow that. And um, and so I talked about how so back in 2014. Well, when you say offer redemptions, what do you mean by that? Like redemptions in kind, or what are you talking about? I'm talking about redemptions in kind. Uh, so back in 2014, actually, the trust was doing this. So it was allowing, um, you know, the issuance of shares and the redemption of the underlying Bitcoin. But then the they got a cease and desist letter from the SEC. Um, and this was kind of finished in 2014, where they had to stop doing that. And um, the reason why, and ever since then, they haven't allowed redemptions because they got a cease and desist. They're like, hey, you're not an ETF. You can't, you're violating Reg M. Um, you can't do that. And, and Grayscale was like, okay. But the key point here is that it's only a violation of Reg M if Grayscale is issuing and redeeming shares at the exact same time. Now, when the premium was there, they were issuing shares like crazy. Uh, because all these institutional investors were putting on this trade, and can you, Grayscale was. Can you unpack that? I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but what does that mean at, at the exact same time? Like, what under that doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me. What, what does that mean? So, like, you know, I said like an ETF can 
issue and redeem shares at the same time to keep the trust in nav. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. Right. So that's what I mean by at the same time they, they can basically fluctuate and redeem and issue it at the same time. Right. And so after they were doing, they got the cease and desist from the SEC, they were essentially only issuing shares. They weren't redeeming the shares anymore. So, hey, hey, Sam, Sam, why yeah. why does the SEC zero in on that particular um, issue to determine that something is an ETF versus not? That's just that's just a rule from the Exchange Act where it's just only uh, certain securities can do these uh, um, can do Reg M essentially where they issue and redeem. Usually, it's like um, treasuries and and money market funds and things like that. It's just in the laws since the 40s or something, or 30s or 40s. Um, I think what so we're trying it, to zero just, in on is why. why. Why? I don't understand that part. We we don't have to. We don't have to um, get sort yeah, of pigeonholed there. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't there. seem we important, can... honestly. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't okay, seem let's, important. Um, let's move on. So, yeah. So um, they were issuing shares like crazy when they were putting on the premium trade. So they created 422 million shares from January. 2020 to March 2021. Now, once the premium trade disappeared, they haven't issued or created any new shares. So it's stuck at 692 million shares. And so since they aren't issuing shares, they can allow redemptions right now, legally. And this would close the NAV to discount almost overnight because all of these... Uh, GBTC shareholders, the accredited investors would be able to basically have a reverse arbitrage where they could sell GBTC uh, or redeem GBTC shares for spot Bitcoin underlying in the trust and take that Bitcoin and then sell it for dollars and collect the difference in the discount. And so you would see that discount get arbed away extremely quickly if DCG or Grayscale just allowed uh, a redemptions. And and they could do it legally. There's no, so this is this is a it's kind of an administrative thing, basically. If I understand right, they would have to make a filing with the SEC and say we're no longer issuing shares. We're now redeeming shares, and at that point, they can just go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And but you know, ironically, the, the negative, the negative yeah. to to the the negative to the to the uh, the sponsor would be that they can't collect the 2% on the other on the value of the underlying asset. It starts to erode their assets under management, so to speak. That's exactly right. That's why they're not doing it is because as people would redeem the Bitcoin, it would be less Bitcoin in the trust and that would lower their fee and that's their cash cow. And so the premium trade added Bitcoin to the trust and it also added a ton of buy pressure to spot Bitcoin because People would put on this trade and the Bitcoin would go in the trust and it would never get sold. It would just sit there. Got but if it. they allow redemption. So they're trying to figure out right now how do we how do we stay alive without getting without losing the assets under management? Yep. And which is Bitcoin. It's ETF. ideal for them to keep the Bitcoin in the in the trust, basically. Because they by yeah. the way, two percent is a gigantic amount on on these on these assets. Oh yeah, that's that's another reason why you can be critical of DCG because the uh, Toronto ETF is a one percent fee, and then there's another similar Osprey Bitcoin Trust that's 0.49 percent fee, and there's no reason to have a huge man management fee for these trusts. Well, I mean, it's, it's a gigantic it's, cash cow. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's it's, it's unbelievable. No, <laughs> like in the like in the gold world, if you were to compare it to the largest ETF in the gold world, which is um, 
GLD. I think the sponsor collects 15 basis points or something like it's some t- it's some really small amount. But the the point yeah. is is that if it's if it's worth tens of billions of dollars, that starts to turn into some real money. Yeah, it it costs like less than a thousand dollars to set up a trust, and basically all they have to do is collect you know the Bitcoin, but then they just like give it to Coinbase, so they don't really do anything. They literally just sit there and collect the two percent. Well, fee. I mean, I mean, there's yeah, depending upon how you manage it, like the operational cost of administering one of these things could be like a hundred grand plus a month. But I mean, that's a drop in the well compared to yeah, the fees the they're well. collecting. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And but but you gotta understand, like redemptions, if they allowed redemptions, it would be good for GBTC shareholders. It would be bad for spot Bitcoin holders. Because it, like I said, they would put on this trade where they would redeem GBTC shares for spot Bitcoin and then sell the spot Bitcoin to collect the difference. Whereas so the premium sell pressure trade. in the market right away, basically. Yeah. Would, yeah, exactly. They would they would meet in the middle. So the 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 you know the premium would 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 meet in the middle and the spot would go down It'd meet somewhere in the middle right yeah i mean the, the discount would go to nav so gbtc holders would love it but as the, the reason that's happening is because the bitcoin's leaving the trust and theoretically those institutional credit accredited investors would sell that bitcoin to collect the 40 you know the discount that currently exists so whereas the premium trade added a ton of buy pressure to spot bitcoin if they added redemptions it would actually add a lot of sell pressure to spot Bitcoin. That's assuming um, that um, that they want to hold dollars in the end, though, right? Yeah, that is assuming. As well, the discount anybody, became smaller, yeah. There's yeah. going to be an I mean, arbitrage. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is if somebody can arbit and collect the spread, they're going to, right? I mean, that's just, that's going to happen. What is the fiduciary responsibility of the trust to the, to, I mean, do, is, is there any, I guess my question is, is there any conflicting fiduciary um, kinds of responsibilities at this point during whatever this process that you're talking about is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, this is why there's been a recent lawsuit that just got filed by Furtree um, saying that Grayscale basically breached the trust agreement by not allowing shareholders to review relevant documents, um, as well as not allowing a redemption when there's no legal reason for them not to uh, allow it. And so there, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but um, they're, they're getting sued for potential mismanagement or wrongdoing of the trust because they're basically hiding behind this idea that they're going to get approval for ETF because that's the best, that would allow, you know, the discount to disappear, but then it would also allow the Bitcoin not to leave the trust. And so it's their best option, right? It's the best option for GBC shareholders. But it's also the best option for Grayscale because they would get to keep their AUM. Um, but but they keep getting rejected, right? And the SEC just had a um, response on December 9th that basically was very, like, they were just like, this isn't happening. This is how I would summar- summarize it. Um, and so Furtree in that, in that lawsuit, they're saying, you know, they keep hiding behind this idea that they're going to get approved from an ETF. And that's why they're not allowing an, um, redemptions right now. But it's not it's not going well and and gbtc shareholders getting hurt for it Um, yeah that seems like a pretty bullshit excuse oh because we're going to become an etf therefore we're not going to i mean that's that's pretty bullshit obviously to me anyway yeah and yeah and the way they uh kind of changed the the trust charter over the years 
um, that's another thing they have a problem with because, you know, shareholders used to have kind of ways they could vote uh, you know, greater than 75% to avoid any kind of like liquidation. Um, they had some rights before, but as of 2017, Grayscale like basically removed that in the trust. And, and now it, it's basically all in, in their court in terms of what they can do. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, issues around how they change the trust charter and, and basically give all the power to Grayscale and not to any, any power to the shareholders. And um, that's kind of all in this lawsuit that just came out like last week. But it's been an ongoing thing for, for years now. Wild. All right, so a couple things. Number one, first, Sam, thanks for coming and hanging out and talking about this. Um, and also, obviously, all the amazing research that you do, dude. You're, I, 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 uh, I do appreciate it. I think um, the whole community appreciates it. Good stuff. Let's, um, let's open it up. If anybody on the panel has questions for Sam, um, and before we do that, I, we're going to let do. you make some final comments here. Well, but I'm just going to kind of prepare thing. it. Prepare it. Yeah, sorry, but there's there's just one other option that we haven't talked about, and it's the nuclear option. It's to actual liquidate the trust. Okay, so hang on. I'm going to pause you right there. Yeah. If, uh, we'll let you we'll let you talk about that in one second. But if you're in the audience and you want to come up, also, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage to prepare for that. And if you want to do it in Telegram, you could do it at t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Sam, please go ahead with that last option, the nuclear yeah option. Yeah, I just think it's important because I mean, if you're a GBTC shareholder. You know, this is like a nuclear option, you know. So, like I said, so shareholders cannot vote to liquidate the trust um, after the trust charter was advised um, or revised in, in 2018. So, really, that full, falls fully on the discretion of Grayscale. Um, now, the reason why they would liquidate the trust would be to raise money. And again, this would be like killing their cash cow. So, I, I don't see it likely that they will voluntarily liquidate the trust. It just doesn't really make sense. Um, and so, but one way it could happen is if they go into bankruptcy, if, if all this stuff kind of falls apart and DCG um, goes into bankruptcy, then in that event, then yeah, the, the trust can be liquidated. Now, even if that's the case, if 50% of the GBTC shareholders vote to move the trust to a new sponsor instead of liquidating it, then that can happen. And so, GBTC shareholders have some rights here where if they don't want the trust liquidated, um, they can just move it to another sponsor if they get greater than 50% of the votes. And so now in the event of a liquidation, there's also language in the trust. And it does say, you know, shareholders will receive a distribution in US dollars or Bitcoin. And so again, I'm not a lawyer, but the language makes it sound like shareholders might be able to redeem the underlying Bitcoin in the event of a liquidation. But again, this would cause a, a logistical nightmare, especially because a lot of this GBTC is held in um, tax advantage accounts that can't hold spot Bitcoin. So let's just say like the probably likely scenario is that the dollars would need to be distributed to GBTC shareholders if the trust was liquidated. And that would mean DCG selling 635,000 Bitcoin on the open market. And this would crash the price of Bitcoin. There'd be a lot of price slippage. Um, it would result in less value going back to GBTC shareholders and the discount would widen even more as there's this huge sell-off as they liquidate the trust. But again, I see this as a last-ditch option. DCG is not likely to do it voluntarily, only happen in a bankruptcy. And then there's language that A, 
you would be able to vote your way to a new sponsor or B, you might actually be able to take in-kind Bitcoin redemptions as the way I see it. And then the, the thing to think about in the liquidation is, is there Bitcoin actually underlying the trust? Is there any other kind of foul play going on? Um, I personally think, you know, after Coinbase holds the, GB, uh, the Bitcoin underlying the trust, they said that the Bitcoin's there. And then I also, there was a on-chain analysis that actually tracked down who found that there is the Bitcoin underlying the trust. Um, and so that was enough for me. Um, also, you got to think about Coinbase. You know, they run a institutional grade custodial service and GBTC is likely their largest client or if not one of their largest clients. If they mismanage the Bitcoin that underlines the largest Bitcoin fund in the world, no other institution is going to trust their custody solution ever again. And so they have incentives to not mess this up, especially when you have uh, custodial solutions like Fidelity and BNY Mellon that exist now. So if Coinbase messes this up, I mean, they could kiss their custodial business goodbye, basically. So I do think the Bitcoin's underlying the trust. And so, and then it's um, confirmed on chain uh, by OXT Research. So um, yeah, so that, that's what would happen if the trust is liquidated, the nuclear option. Um, and, and that's how I see kind of that's kind of see all the options. I just went through like kind of all the options I see DCG. Wow. That was an incredible breakdown. Um, just a couple of quick comments. We'll go to you, Peter. Number one, in order to liquidate at this point, the sponsor would have to be changed. So in other words, in the, it, the way it was originally set up, if you think of it like a traditional trust and you have beneficiaries and the beneficiaries think that the trustee slash sponsor slash executor of the trust is basically being assholes and they're not managing the trust well. If they have 75% of the shares, they could have fired them, but they, they removed that. Now, the only way to do that is if there's a new sponsor appointed, which would require more than 50% of the shares, in which case it's possible to redeem in either cash or Bitcoin, right? I think at the end of the day, and this is my opinion, that it would be up to that new sponsor on how to do it. They would have to have some administrative function to be able to do it. Doesn't mean they couldn't. It means they would have the option, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah, it's like the option. And I, I also think it, the likely scenario would be cash for a lot of these accounts um, for a lot of different reasons. So well, that would be easier, if, right? Yeah, it'd be easier. Like, and, and there's legal reasons for some of them too. And But yeah, if the, if well, the options what, what would be the good, legal good reasons? Thing. Like literally, if it's held in a 401k, a lot of this GBTC is. Oh, right, right. I, I'm tracking. And, and right, right, right. Yeah, I yeah. got you. Yeah. But, 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 but if it was like, okay, so let's say, for example, that did happen and, and the, the new sponsor was basically Bitcoiner minded. Like they're like, okay, we want you guys to have the Bitcoin. So in the cases that they could do it, it's possible if they were able to set up the administrative processes to do so. And for the ones that had to be redeemed in cash, they could do that too. I mean, yeah, it would be gigantic. I could see how it would be a gigantic pain in the butt to try to get Bitcoin to the uh, to the retirement account holders. Got it. Uh, Peter, go ahead. So, because we we like to follow the money as Bitcoiners, um, who are the major shareholders, and what is their their stake in G GBTC, and why would they want to push? Um, one of these options versus another. Well, the the biggest shareholder of GBTC is DCG now by a long shot. <laughs> so 
they want an ETF, you know, that's, that's what they want. Um, and they're, they're by far the biggest, uh, the next biz- biggest are just some of these big institutional firms. Um, I think horizon kinetics is up there and, um, some of these other ones, but you know, a lot, some of them are playing the discount trade. Some of them are, are playing like the, the ETF speculation trade. They're basically hoping that an ETF gets approved here and that, you know, the discount disappears overnight and they make 45% on their position overnight. It's been a painful trade to make <laughs> for, for the last couple of years for these people because they paid that 2% fee. So it's an expensive trade to put on. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think if you're a GBCC shareholder, what you want is, you know, the reg M relief um, or a conversion of an ETF or the, or grayscale to allow redemptions you know that that's what you would want if you're a gbtc shareholder um now a lot of these incentives differ for grayscale the the sponsor of the trust and that's why grayscale wants an etf because um or reg m relief um because they don't want to offer redemptions because that would lower their fees that would lower their aum so um but that's what you would want if you're a gbtc shareholder yeah. So the, the in reality, it, I mean, in some ways, the sponsor slash Grayscale slash DCG, their interests are actually not aligned with the shareholders in some ways, because for them, the best outcome would be maximize the amount of assets under management, meaning keep as much Bitcoin in the trust as possible and continue to collect fees on that gigantic pile of value over time. Exactly. Exactly. All right. This has been a fan, a fantastic discussion, Sam. Thank you again. Really cool. Like it's helped me understand a lot of stuff. And I think people who are listening to this or will listen to it on the podcast will get a lot of value from this. It explains a lot of things that I was curious about. And I'm sure other people are as well. Um, if anybody on the panel has any questions for Sam in regards to this, now's the time. If you're in the audience and you want to ask questions, go ahead and request to come up. We'll bring you up. We'll be kind to you, I promise. And you can ask questions in Telegram, t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. And of course, we'll make, we'll give you a chance to make some closing comments, Sam, before we wrap here. Does anybody have any questions? When am I going to get my $12,000 Bitcoin? <laughs> well, if they, uh, if they have to liquidate the trust, man, you'll get there. <laughs> or if they oh. have redemptions. Uh, yep. You know, that'll put some pressure on the, the spot Bitcoin price. I mean, if nobody has uh, other questions, I mean, it really but, but comes hold, down to Hold on to a second, the, Sam. Yeah, Sam. Yeah, yeah, go just, on, go on. Just, just to make sure that that's not uh, hyperbole, that's... That's probably the least likely of the options, correct? I would say, yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. I would say that's the least likely um, for sure. Insert Jim Carrey meme. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the chance, the chance of that happening is because of a bankruptcy, because of a DCG bankruptcy. So um, that's certainly on the table, I would say. But we'll see if they're they get, like I said they have all these other options still available to them and it's a dynamic situation it's still playing out so um, right. we'll see what happens with DCG and stuff. So for all you Bitcoiners holding out for twelve and fourteen k, you know who you are. 
keep an eye on DCG. If it's looking like they might go bankrupt, then the chances of them liquidating are much higher. Yeah. Andres. God, it would clean out so much more of the fucking sewage in this system. Oh, please let it happen. <laughs> hey, uh, Sam, um, I have a question about. I'm not. I'm not a macro or a finance bro or anything. Um, but I, I, I've always heard about like the GBTC premium and like. Could you explain that in layman's term? Like, what does that mean? Because I always hear hey. uh, Tone talk about that. Tone, hey, can you? Sorry, can you um, repeat that? I got a phone call like right when you right when you asked the question. Actually, you oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My question is about: Could you explain in layman's term what what the premium in GBTC is? Like, where does that come from? Because I've always heard like Tone Vase talk about it, and and he makes a big deal about it. Well, I um, I explained it earlier in the show, so oh, it okay, might okay. be good to go back. But I mean, it's basically because of how these shares are issued and these lockup periods, it creates this uh, dynamic where there could be more demand for the shares trading on the open market uh, versus the Bitcoin underlying the trust. And so there's like basically this um, lag effect because of this lockup period where the supply and demand become uh, imbalanced and the shares uh, get demanded up higher than the underlying Bitcoin. Um, and that would create a premium. Or say like the reason there's a huge discount right now is because um, you know the price of Bitcoin has just gone down and there's less demand for these shares on the open market. There's not a lot of FOMO going on with the price down as much as it you know compared to the bull market when everyone couldn't get enough GBTC shares. Um, and so it just it, it's a fluctuates with supply and demand on the market. And and that's and that, the pain that's the pain that you're talking about that that entities are now experiencing because they're on the wrong side of that trade and yet they still have to pay the 2% for the yeah. management fee. Yeah, because, the, yeah, exactly. And they pay the 2%. And the reason that uh, Grayscale also doesn't care about the discount and premium that much is because they collect their fee at NAV. That's an important point. Um, they don't, like, even if it's trading at a 45% discount, they're still collecting um, just how much the 2% on the underlying Bitcoin. Um, so it's, it doesn't really matter for them as much as GBTC shareholders. I'll take okay. a shot at the explain it like I'm five version, right? The shares are the derivative. The shares are the orange juice. The Bitcoin is the orange, right? And um, there's a difference in price between the shares, the orange juice, and the underlying asset, the orange, right? And if there's a if if the shares are worth more, that the orange juice is worth more than the orange. That there's a premium, and if they're worth less on the market, there's a discount. That's the difference between a premium and a discount in the shares to the underlying asset. Oh, that was great. Thanks, Alex. And then, and then, Alex, just to complete that thought, then the way you profit on that is by selling uh, one or the other, correct? The way you, uh, yeah, if you want to close the gap between the value of the shares in terms of premium or discount and the underlying asset. Yeah, that's what you call arbitrage trading. That's the reason why ETFs supposedly more closely match uh, the value of the underlying asset. We've got Donna Riddell up here. Good morning, Donna. Hi, hi, just following, hi, thanks a lot. Um, just um, following exactly on that point, Alex, um, the, way, the reason that the ETF 
is able to more closely match the underlying, whether it's gold, oil, technology, ETFs, doesn't matter which one, is they, as part of the ETF approval, you get a exemption from Reg M, and that allows you, meaning the, the arbitrageurs that are, that are selected to do this under the filing, it allows them to buy and sell and buy and sell in order to get that NAV very, very close to almost, you know, a penny away from what the underlying is, what the, as I said before. You cannot do that in the GBTC. And consequently, this gap that opens for whatever reason it opens, it was, it was a premium, it's a, it's, a, it's a discount now, cannot get closed by doing that, that arbitrage. And so this lingers and it can widen because now, as we know, the probability of getting an ETF approved in this country is like, you know, like maybe it used to be something, now it's zero, uh, maybe minus zero if that's possible. And the other yes. thing, the other thing that happened, of course, over this period of time, not only did Bitcoin go down, but alternatives came to market. Uh, alternatives that I'm not opining whether they're good ones or bad ones, but people can buy uh, ETFs in Canada. They can buy them in Brazil. I think they're like four or five in, in Canada. You can buy them overseas, et cetera. I'm not saying whether all Americans can buy all of these. And they're proxies in terms of also there's an ETF on the futures, albeit that clearly is, is not, is not uh, great for retail customers, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of different things. People did baskets, not that it did uh, well for them, on micro strategies and other kinds of, of, of companies that might have had exposure to Bitcoin. And remember, most of this happened at a time when it was very difficult for a retail because GBTC, besides the fact that we see that so many of these big companies had been playing in, the, in, in, the, in, this, in this field uh, with GBTC, uh, a lot of it was aimed at retail customers, which you know couldn't get necessarily in their IRAs, Bitcoin. I mean, now much of that has changed, but they couldn't get it. They didn't know how to buy it. They didn't want a wallet, you know, whatever the story was. And so it became a very popular, became a very popular way for retail customers to say they had Bitcoin, you know, in big quotes, you know, had Bitcoin, as we all know. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about that. And I do think that whether we like GBTC or don't like GBTC for me is not the issue. I do think it is one of the great failings of the SEC not to have allowed this to be an ETF and and let people choose if they would like to have it or not have it and not cause this pain that they've done um, to retail customers. Just one of the many um, failings that the SEC has had along this route. Do you That's think, Donna? Do you, do you think that that is that is to keep um, Bitcoin, physical Bitcoin, out of people's uh, retirement? No, no, because there are ways now that you can get a Bitcoin in your physical retirement. Um, there are a number. I, you guys would know better than me the names of some of the places. Swan. Yeah, uh, Swan, of course, can, offers it. But there are other places that you know along the way, whether it be retail, whether it be high net worth, or others, have been able to to do it. And 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 the the list of really fantastic companies that have applied for an ETF, um, you know, include Fidelity. Fidelity, I highly recommend for any Bitcoiner to look at the uh, presentation they put together for the SEC. The price. Uh, charts and all the great things they put together um, on 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 Bitcoin. Bitcoin itself is an asset, um, and they those guys really understand it. Um, but I think that one of the key things that they've talked about all the time is the manipulation of the spot markets. 
And so as we've seen now with whether it's FTX or others um, that are involved in spot trading, um, this is not going to change the SEC's mind in any um, uh, in any foreseeable future to let it happen. But they've they've wrote written copious um, responses to ETFs, but the underlying market is one of them. Okay, we're pretty much out of time for the show. Sam, we're going to let you make some closing comments, and then we will move to wrap. Donna, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, no, um, I thought that was a great summary. Like Donna is spot on with a lot of what she just said. A lot of I cover a lot of that in um, the report above, and um, you know I'm very critical of the SEC as my conclusion of who's to blame for all this. There's a lot of blame to go around, uh, but I think the the SEC failed on its mission in its refusal to protect investors. Um, in its refusal to approve the conversion of GBC into a spot Bitcoin ETF, because if an ETF's approved, the premium's gone, um, and all this nonsense with Three Arrows Capital and and all these institutions that were putting on this trade with leverage, it would have been maybe much much smaller had they done their job, and and obviously there would be no discount um, if they were to approve an ETF, and the fact that they approved a futures ETF which essentially tracks the underlying spot market, um, which is more expensive to manage, which doesn't under, which doesn't track it as well as a spot Bitcoin ETF and is subject to more price manipulation. Um, it, it's ridiculous in my opinion, um, because they're basically saying, Hey, this, we're not going to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF uh, because of manipulation and fraud, but we're going to approve these Bitcoin futures, even though it, supposedly tracks the fraudulent, you know, quote unquote, fraudulent spot market. So it's absolutely asinine. And even SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce says the commission's resistance to a spot Bitcoin ETP is becoming almost legendary. It makes no sense. So, you know, I, I really put a lot of blame on all this to the SEC. Um, I think they deserve blame. And I think they should prove a spot Bitcoin ETF to protect um, investors, essentially retail investors and do their freaking job. Um, so I'll close it with that. But um, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. You can read the report above uh, if you want more detail about all this stuff. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out today. That was really good, Sam. Uh, Sam is an incredibly intelligent individual, does very, very uh, thorough research. He's also really good looking and sickle, ladies. Uh, that's that's a wrap. You've been listening to doctor, Cafe Bitcoin. But his and he's a doctor sucks. on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, uh, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We do talk about Bitcoin. We do it every day. Monday through Friday, we start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours. Uh, and we do it live on Twitter Spaces. If you can't catch the live show, this is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw myself or Swan follow to be notified of when those episodes drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew, and Peter Sets for Life producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more about Swan, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Thanks again to Sam and all the speakers that come on the show on a regular basis. I appreciate you guys. Admire what you do. Sharing this vision, this pathway, this level up for mankind, the bright orange future all about bitcoin this is what we call getting on the mission if you don't know what that means hang out you'll figure it out love all you guys have a great day go out there